Here we are with amazing verses before us once again, verses 5 through 11 today. I titled this sermon, New Presence, New Power. New Presence, New Power. And one of the things that strikes me as I just survey over this chapter is up until this point in Romans, before chapter 8, the Holy Spirit was mentioned once in this, in this book. In chapter 8, he's mentioned over 20 times. Uh, so you have in this, in this chapter a massive focus on the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and his ministry, his work in our lives. New presence, new power. We're just going to move through the ver- these verses little by little and uh, <clears throat> take it as it comes. I want to begin by reading where we covered last week, starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of, of the Spirit of life has set you free, believer, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending, how did he do it? By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, there's the cross. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, right? by his righteous robe that we wear. That is, we who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so he introduces for us this this walk. Uh, He he says we walk, believers, those who have been made new in the Spirit, who who have the Holy Spirit in us, we have this this journey, this walk. You could call it the, uh, the Christian life or the Christian walk. This is part of what we're doing today. It's why others sleep in and we wake up, right? It's why others, unless they're sick, don't worry, guys. If you're sick, that's okay, right? You get to wear your sweatpants today to church. It's it's why we're here today, though. It's why you're tuning in on YouTube, right? It's why it matters when this word is open, what it says. It's why we can concern ourselves with sin and righteousness and judgment. It's why we think about eternal life and the consequences of sin and the wrath of God. It's why it matters to us whether our neighbors believe or not. It's why it matters whether our co-workers or our children or grandchildren know Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's because we're on this Christian walk and we have experienced a transformation. So we move now into verse 5. And five and six, I've titled this only two categories, only two categories. There's a clarification work that Paul wants to do through the inspiration of the Spirit. And let's begin in verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Every word counts in here. Every single word counts. It matters. Paul is not just throwing words together. There, there's, some, there's certain words in here that surprise us, and, and they should, and they carry significance. So I want to move very carefully through here and understand this. Number one, we're dealing with two categories of people, the unsaved and the saved. The unsaved are described here as those who live according to the flesh. 
They live in that, in that place, in that way. They're living there. The saved, that is those who have trusted Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, found forgiveness, life, and freedom, right? No condemnation. Those are those who live according to the Spirit, okay? Right? Let's just be really careful here. There is no middle ground. There's no third category. There are two kinds of people, the unsaved and the saved. Today, in this room, there are two kinds of people who walked in these doors. Either those who are unsaved, who have yet to turn from their sins and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, or those who are saved, who sit here today delighting in life according to the Spirit. Let's press in a little bit on these words because they're interesting, especially if you have the New American Standard Bible, which I I found very helpful in, in this passage. Um, the word life here is, is fascinating. Those who live, um, it, it, it's a me. It, 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 it means literally to be, to be. Those who, uh, you could say, those being according to, or those who are being according to. Live works, but New American Standard says those who are according to the flesh. You see what he's saying? You are either according to the flesh or you are according to to the Spirit. You are existing there, flowing out life from one of those positions. To be according to something is a reference to the fundamental essence of the person, his nature, what makes him tick, what he gets out of bed in the morning to pursue, to live for, his bent or his disposition. You have an internal autopilot when you're born in this world, and that is not toward God. That is toward self and sin and autonomy and rebellion. That is unsaved. The Spirit of God, through the gospel in Jesus Christ, accomplishes a complete change from the inside out for those who are in Christ, meaning that your disposition is fundamentally changed. Now you are given to the words of God, the the, the movement of the Spirit, the call of God, His righteousness is a pursuit. It matters. Hmm. Now, characteristics. Two categories, now characteristics of these people. Phroneo is the word. We've got some Greek students out there. Steve, there's a word for you. Phroneo, uh, to set your mind or to operate in. Those who live or who are being according to, according to the flesh. They, they set their minds. They operate there. The pattern of thought. This is not just cerebral. Okay? Don't just think this is just they set their mind as in brain. This is your emotion, your affection, your will, your desire, and your reason. It's the whole of the person. It's not just they're saying, well, I really want to pursue and love God, but my brain won't let me. It's not that. There's no conflict in the person who's unsaved. It is altogether godless, set against God, set on the flesh. And over here now, there's a radical change. That disposition has been released, as it were, uh, unfettered 
by the chains of, of slavery to sin and Satan, and now released, free to obey, free to pursue, free to love God and obey Him. The flesh, that is, those who are in step with the pattern of this world, in rebellion against God. That's what the flesh means in a, in a in kind of a broad stroke paintbrush. If you are living according to the flesh, you are going to feel very at home with the world. Popular opinion may be what you live to embrace. The scientific community that is largely godless in their starting point is not going to be a problem for you. Darwin, hey, that's all good. Karl Marx, what's the big deal there, right? It's a godless bent. It is a godless pattern. It is a godless system of the world. It tends to push this way. The spirit to be in step with God in rebellion against the pattern of the world. That's the irony, isn't it? Rather than conforming over here, you are transforming, or as it were, being transformed by the Spirit of God day by day. Hmm. Are we feeling how stark the contrast is between these categories? There are two kinds of people today who wake up on a Sunday morning and have a goal in mind for this day, for this week, for their lives. What is it that you are here to pursue with all your heart? What do you long for? What do you dream most? Is it to the pattern of the world? To build an earthly kingdom? My will be done? Or is it, oh God, I live for you, for your glory. I want to esteem you, obey you, delight in you. I mean, think of the consequences here of the difference of these two, two points. The consequences are, are just stark. And don't miss the word is. For, the mind, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's a fascinating word. He didn't say brings death. Well, that's true though, right? It's, it's true. If you live in rebellion to God, you're going to lose. You are going to die. All of us are sinners, which means all of us will die unless the Lord comes soon and raptures us, we who believe. To set the mind on the flesh is death. You could even say it reveals death. It is death to live this way. It, it's showing death. When you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. It doesn't just bring it. It is it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not at odds with God, at war with God any longer. We, we're forgiven. We have peace, life and peace. The consequences are clear. So it's a fascinating sum up that he gives of these two categories of humanity. Think around the world right now. How many people are living in one or the other of these two categories? Is the, the clarity between the two established in their minds? For the believer, it must be. It must be. That's what Paul's saying. We are not who we were. We are called now to life and we live according to the Spirit, not who we were when we were dead. 
and unsaved. Now, on to verses 7 and 8. Before we get here, I just want to say a word. Um, There are verses in your Bible that require of you in ways that some are unwilling to give. There are verses in your Bible that will push you past categories of thought that you have had of God. Categories of reality that you see and interpret differently than the Word of God. When that happens, I would just call us all, have a healthy distrust for your perception and a robust embrace of God's revelation. What He says is real and true. Even if we say, for real? Are are you sure? He's sure. It's been in your Bible your entire life. Verses like this have massive consequences. They They will shape the way you think about so many things. Okay? Are we ready? All right, let's give this a go. Verses 7 and 8. The enslaved mindset. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, if you have a Bible here, underline this. It cannot. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I remember the first time I heard this preached. I objected. I was like, wait a second. Does that mean, are you sure that means what it's just said? Paul, did you mean to say that is a massive statement of unsaved humanity? It means that if you are not saved, if you are in the flesh, living according to the pattern of the world, unsaved, you are hostile to God. You will not submit to His call of righteousness, repentance. It means not even that more so. You cannot. You lack the ability, the capacity to do so. And you cannot please God. This this is devastating revelation. Well, pastor, what about the, the man, the philanthropist that built hospital after hospital that blessed people. Are you telling me that there was nothing of that that we can put in the category of good? Yes. That's what Paul is telling us. It doesn't mean that God cannot employ it for good. God can accomplish His common grace and His blessing in all kinds of ways. But if we're going to esteem righteousness and the category of good as God does, we understand according to this verse, those who are unsaved cannot please God. They can't do it. They can't of their, of their own will humble themselves, repent on their own. There's nothing in them that is bent that way. It is bent completely the opposite way against God. Hostile to God. Anything that is not done in faith is sin. Anything that is not done for the glory of God is sin. So if I build a hospital 
and, and I take credit for it. And fail to humbly before the God who is acknowledge and glorify Him. I sin. Even though that hospital may bless. This has implications for us in our own understanding of our own conversion. Doesn't it? The question maybe isn't, did you believe, right? For, for those who do believe, the answer yes today is absolutely I believe. The question becomes, how in the world did you believe? Because according to this, you by disposition, by bent, by nature, by everything in you were hostile to God. There's nothing in you that was inclined to God. That's why we don't pursue seeker-sensitive church growth strategies. The seekers are saved. That's who the seekers are. Those who are unsaved may be drawn by the Father. They may be on the, on the pull of His fishing wheel uh, reeling them in. But the seekers are those who see Him and embrace Him and love Him by grace. Those who are unsaved refuse to acknowledge God. We saw that in chapter 1, didn't we? They suppress the truth of God. They don't, they don't want that. They, they are not depending upon God throughout the day, i.e. trusting Him, having faith in Him, looking to Him. They are not actively killing sin and obeying God. Why, why would we worry about that? Even in, in a moral sense, it is a miss in the eyes of God. And they are not living for the glory of God. But believer, this is your life. This is what we live for. To acknowledge Him, thank Him, bless Him, pray to Him, depend upon Him, trust Him. Oh Lord, we look to You every hour. I need You. And help me hate sin like You hate sin. Help me go to war against my flesh that lingers in me. I want to be holy. To bring you glory. Hmm. This is the judgment just after John 3.16. Listen to the verses. John 3.19-20. This is the judgment. The light, that is Jesus, has come into the world and devastation. People loved the darkness. That's consistent with what we just heard from Paul, isn't it? They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. That's what Paul just said in our passage. And will not come. Refuses. Is unable to come. Lest his works be exposed. It's important as gospel people that we understand these kinds of verses. These are massive in our understanding. What is the gospel? How does it meet people? What happens? What is so necessary to see a sinner who is hostile to God all of a sudden embracing Him and His Savior as King? Bending the knee in humility. Crying out for salvation. We are left to ourselves on our own autopilot. We are at enmity with God. We have enslavement to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. As we've seen in Romans already, this is established 
There is nothing in us that is inclined toward God, but much the opposite. We are set against Him with all that we are. It is a total refusal on our part and, according to these verses, a total inability to submit. Our inability flows from our hostility. You might write that down. Our inability flows from our hostility. Our hatred of God, our refusal of Him is rooted in enmity. Uh, we, we rebel against it. We don't love God. It's not in us to do that. We love the dark. We love it so much that when we see the light, we say, get it out of here. I don't want that. Paul clarifies these things in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Listen to the clarity, the consistency of revelation on this point. The natural person. Who is that? That is the unsaved person. That is the man who lives with his mind set on the flesh. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Here's our two categories. And then he clarifies. They are foolishness. They are folly. He is not able. Same exact clarity. There is not ability to accept or celebrate or embrace the things of the Spirit of God, i.e., the gospel. That's the most supernatural work of God. We have no capacity in ourselves, left to ourselves, to do anything but stand in opposition and hate God with all our heart. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. John MacArthur says it this way, every unredeemed person, whether religious or atheistic, whether outwardly moral or outwardly wicked, every unredeemed person is hostile toward God. That's what Paul is saying. An unsaved person cannot live a godly and righteous life because he has no godly and righteous nature or even resources to draw from. He, therefore, cannot have genuine love for God or for the things of God. Is this clear? Are we feeling how significant this point is? Friends, if we reject this revelation, we will think incorrectly of our own conversion and of the work that we are assigned to do in missions and evangelism and prayer and shining the light of the gospel. It's so important. It's total Hardness of heart and total inability on our own. The self is no help at all. We live in a self-help age. Even Christian bookstores are filled with this junk. Christian, self-help doesn't exist for you. <laughs> Can we agree? The Pharisees were all about self-help. Self-righteousness is all about puffing yourself up and, and, and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps which is goofy, by the way. How does that even work? Anyway, there's no self-help in the gospel. Zero, not an ounce, not a sliver remains. The only thing self brings apart from God is judgment, wrath, and hell. And willfully so, to be clear. 
let, let, let's not miss this. I incline to those things. I store them up. I live for them, and I receive from God's hand exactly what I have asked for. But for God's grace. No presence, no power. I brought my flashlight here. I've got the old version. Ethan's got the cool tools. And uh, so I got the converter that, that gives me way better battery life. And I let Ethan, or Ethan let me borrow a battery. But I want you to picture that you're walking through life in the dark. And you've got this flashlight on your hands. And you keep turning it on. And you're like, man, I can't see. Nothing's happening here. The point of the matter is, is that nothing will happen because there is no power source. It's not present with you. You have no power to light up. You can't do this in and of yourself. You lack the ability. You can blow on it. Nothing happens. Now, this illustration breaks down because I, I, I'm already transgressing the clarity here. I'm wanting it to light up. See, the reality is, according to these verses, I don't even want to turn the switch on. I'm covering this up. The unsaved person is not interested in the light. Doesn't want it. Wants to hide it, suppress it, push it down. If the Holy Spirit is not present, there is no light, there is no power, there is only dark, and I receive exactly what I choose wrath, and hell. P.H. Spurgeon said it this way, this change must be worked by a power beyond your own. There must be something done more than we can accomplish. Because the irony is, we don't even want to accomplish it. We're not looking for life. We're looking for a genie. Many versions of God that are pursued in our day, even preached in our day, are, are man-centered. A God who just lives to make your life awesome. And he'll come along the ride. He certainly doesn't want to drive your car, but he's happy to ride along, even if he's in the trunk and you just pull him out whenever you need, like flat tire. Oh, now I'm going to pray, right? That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I'll take the wheel. I own this car. I am everything to you or nothing at all listen to these amazing verses jesus working and, and evangelizing nicodemus truly truly i say to you unless one is born again now you've heard this phrase sometimes it's loaded up filled with baggage born again christians i love this phrase it's a bible phrase unless one jesus says is born Again, let's look at the limitations. He cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, obviously, like all of us, asked, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So, clarity here, talking about physical birth. He's talking about physical birth. Jesus moves it from physical birth to spiritual birth, which is where salvation takes place. Listen to Jesus' response. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that is what happened to bring you into this world. You were born 
You were born of water. And then he adds, and of the Spirit. So you're born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now this is amazing. Unless you are born again, you cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. Do you see the restrictions placed here by Jesus himself on this reality? That which is born of, don't miss these words, born of, born of. Who's the worker in the birth? You? No. God. Spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You cannot give yourself spiritual birth. It is something that must be done. Jesus goes on to say, the wind blows where it will, so too it is with the Holy Spirit. You can't program the Holy Spirit. He saves as he so pleases, according to the foreordained plan of the Father and in the proclamation of the gospel, all of these things come together and at just the right time, he makes alive. That is how you were saved, Christian. You were born of the Spirit. Wow. Look at how these things come together. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, now, don't miss this. That's what, we, that's what we did. There is human responsibility functioning here still. Um, we're not seeing the Bible eliminate the responsibility of all sinners to repent, embrace Jesus, believe on his name. That is established and clear. The call goes out to all who received him and believed on his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is uh, cause and effect. Okay? Look at how he clarifies then who were born. We're born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Here's our text. Nor of the will of man. It's not your parents who were like, oh, we just really want you to be saved. Do it. Be saved. Or those crazy crusaders with their swords, trust Jesus or I'm going to lop your head off. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not the will of man. It's not your will, the will of the flesh. It is the will of God. Born of God. Hmm. Divine sovereignty is clearly established in your Bible. To push back against it because we don't fully understand it is simply unacceptable. It, it, it doesn't work for the Christian life. We don't have all the answers. We don't know how it all comes together. But it is true. It's glorious. And friends, in Romans chapters 9 through 11, we're going to go there. So I would encourage you, rather than grind on it, delight in it. Even in the mystery. How does it meet human responsibility? We don't fully know, but they both concur. They come together. There's a, a concurrence. They're both operating. And in the beauty of God's gospel, they're both true. Wow. And here we are today. Here we are. It's one of the reasons why we can say He saved us by grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We weren't seeking Him. We weren't trying to, to, to will ourselves to be alive. We were hating Him. 
And here we are, forgiven and free, filled with the Spirit. New birth is truly the supernatural regeneration of the Spirit. It is the reason you chose. It is the, the, the source of the very faith that you leveraged to believe in Christ. It is spectacular. Now, verses 9 through 11, this really is amazing to see how this meets us then day to day, just normal Christian living day by day, indwelled and empowered, indwelled and empowered. Verse 9, you, however, I love Paul and his clarity. He's, he's writing to believers, right? You, however, are not in the flesh. You're not unsaved, but you're in the Spirit. And then he, he clarifies, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the way to have the Holy Spirit is to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is an amazing connection here. Look at how the deity of Christ is affirmed. Look at this. They're interchangeable. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ. You see, he did that on purpose. That is a statement of Jesus' divinity. He is synonymous with God. The Spirit the Holy Spirit is the Father's Spirit and the Son's Spirit. They are a trinity in unity. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit. If He is not yours, your Savior, your Lord, if you are not in Him, then He is not in you. Oh, so much rich truth comes in this. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. I will send a helper. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come. How? In my Spirit, right? I will be with you always, even to the end of the... All of this is referencing the presence of Christ through His Spirit in your life, Christian. And the presence of God Himself, the Father, all three, God in full, working and active in your life, represented in the seal, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. But if, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Oh, this is amazing. So, consequences of sin, hey, they linger. We are not... Uh, under condemnation. We are forgiven. But guess what? We're all still dying. We all still are mortal in this life. That is a real consequence that God says will be overcome. And we'll see that in the verses to come. But although your body is as good as dead, because the spirit of life is in you, you have righteousness. The spirit is life in you. So think of it this way. Um, we have mortal bodies, but we also have right now, spiritually, a resurrection life that we're living in. We have it today. It's the kind of life that death cannot touch, even though our bodies die, are fading. Some of you on, on, the, on the live stream today are feeling the mortality, the weakness of the body. 
Our outward body is wasting away, Paul would say in another place. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. That's what he's referencing here. We have new presence and new power. So for the believer, now we have a flashlight and we've got a presence. The presence of the Spirit. I'm going to try not to blind you guys. Oh, sorry, Steve. We've got power. We can shine, right? Where once there was nothing but darkness and rebellion and hatred, now the light of life, it's in your soul. It's shining. It's it's emanating in you, radiating. And it is why we delight to set the mind on the things of the Spirit. It's why when you open the Word of God, which is the book of the Spirit, your soul lights up. It's why as we walk in this world, we have the opportunity to light up the dark. We have new presence and new power. Friends, this is a massive encouragement. There were problems, issues, sins, besetting sins that used to define us over which we were totally powerless and in large part unwilling to even address. But now in Christ, we have resources. We have freedom. We have power to leverage. We have weapons to bring to the fight. And we can change. There is hope for change. Every single battle you fight, every single weakness that you struggle with, every besetting sin can be squashed in the power of the Holy Spirit as we depend upon Him, trust in Him, walk in step with Him, and cling to Him. We have the power we need. We have the power we lacked before. It's ours now. Just just stop. I mean, just look around real quick. Look around in here. Okay? In your living room, look around. There are people who are sitting next to you And God dwells there. God himself is he's in you. Oh, how easy it is for us to forget this mind-blowing reality. You have the resources of the Almighty within you, Christian. The Trinitarian glory is about to go nut. Let's look at these closing verses. Watch this. If the Spirit of Him, this is the Father now, who raised Jesus from the dead, there's the Son, if the Spirit of Him, the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the Father, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you there's there's all these references to the trinity functioning in this short little couple verses paul is giving this encouragement knowing yes our bodies are, are are mortal and and we are fading towards glory but don't think that there's no future for the flesh here for this this shell this body it's got a glorious future Because the one that raised Jesus from the grave 
is going to do the same for you. For your body. That's why we don't hate the body. We don't pit spiritual against material. Some kind of plutonium dualism. Uh, dualism. We, we love the body. We don't treat it harshly. We don't hate the flesh. We, we love these, these bodies that God has given us. These will be raised imperishable someday. We're studying in Revelation and we're going to see that the new heavens and new earth, they're not just ethereal. They are truly material. Real dirt. Real trees. Real people with bodies, not just souls, little floaty, you know, wisps floating around. No, you, the you, we recognizable, you glorified. No weakness, no sin, no scars. Forever. The Spirit of the resurrecting Father lives in you through Jesus. There's a Trinitarian statement. Oh, that's the gospel reality for your life today, Christian. How weird it must be for God to hear us pray things like, I just feel like you're far from me. I don't, I just, I just don't, I don't, I can't sense you. I, I don't know where you are. And he's like, I'm in you. I am in you. Totally. Incline your heart to His Word. Listen to His voice as you read. The ministry of the Spirit who lives in you, Christian, is rich with joy and intercession for you. Mm. He works with our spirit to confirm that we are His children. God's children. He intercedes for us. He loves us. He illumines the word for us. He comforts us. He strengthens us. Hmm. Spiritual resurrection life now. Physical resurrection life at rapture. That's like the worst that can happen to you, Christian. That's like, that's the darkest part of your story. It's bright. Yes, you may suffer in this life for a short, short, short little time. And in that, no, there's no condemnation for you. That suffering is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That suffering is not from a God who is neutral to you or is powerless to prevent you from suffering. He loves His children. And he employs lots of things for our good. And that can include suffering. What a God we have. Our response this morning. I want to begin with a question that has to be asked. Have you been born again? There are only two categories of people in this room. Only two categories of people listening online. Those who live with their minds set on the things of this world, the flesh, giving them themselves fully to sin and rebellion and hatred of God. As sanctified as it may seem, there's nothing there but death. And death is revealed in that pattern of life. 
Then there's another category of those who all of grace, but let's be clear, it's all of grace that there are any people in this category whatsoever because if, if it was up to us, no one would be here. We would all be over here, wouldn't we? God has chosen in His grace to put people over here and give them new birth in the power of His Holy Spirit. Give them the very faith they need to cry out, save me. You have the Holy Spirit in you today. Have you been born again? If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. I just ask the question, if, if you've not been born again, what do you do? What do you do? You might be saying, well, it sounds to me like I can't do anything. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I feel concerned that I'm not born again. I, I'm, I'm aware that Jesus is not my Savior and Lord and that God is a righteous judge and that I have lived my life to store up wrath. What do you do? Here's the beautiful response of the Gospel. Run to Jesus. Run to Him with all that you are. Don't hold back and don't wait. If today you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Run to Him with all that you are. Everything in your heart. And embrace Him as Lord and Savior. Turn from sin. And I'm telling you, God will forgive your sins. That's the promise. But pastor, how do I do that? The answer is, by grace alone. By grace alone. That's the only way anyone has ever embraced the King. God will stir in your heart. He may be doing it right now. Stir in your heart the weight of your sins. And the beauty of His Son, Jesus Christ, may be planting, as He births you again in the power of His Spirit, planting the very faith you need to run to Jesus. Run to Him with all your might. And you will be saved. Christian, you have new power because you have new presence. The presence of the Spirit is in you. You have the resources of all of heaven. The God who is dwells in you. So, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Live out who you are in Christ. Live for Him. Acknowledge God. Depend upon God. Kill your sin. Obey God and live for His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are delighted to be reminded here today of Your incredible saving work. We interpret our own stories with these verses. These are not just verses for those out there. They're, they're my verses. This is who I was before You saved me. Father, I thank You for the, the proclamation of the Gospel. Each of us who are saved has had someone or some way that You have ordained to bring us the good news, to challenge us to turn from our sins Thank You for those people who ministered Your Gospel to us. Make us like that. Help us to be those kinds of people that go boldly declaring the good news of the Gospel. And ultimately, Lord, thank You for changing our hearts, for opening our eyes, for doing what we literally could not do. What we were unable to do, You did in saving us. And we give You all the glory and praise. 
Thank you, Lord, that it's not just about our conversion, but every day forward until glory. Thank you that you walk with us, that you are close to us, that you are in us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for your intercession, Jesus, and your sacrifice for your lordship and rule over our lives. We pray that we would delight in you and draw from you this strength, this power that you have given us. Incline our hearts to your word, for that is the very light that we are called to shine. For your glory, until you come again, Lord, find us faithful, delighting in you. In Jesus' name, amen.